I ended up going through a period probably of about seven months where I was going through mental abuse within my own home. Obviously an incredibly difficult thing to do when you've got three children surrounding you. It, you know, it starts going through your head that you're in this impossible situation. The one thing I learned from it is there's two ways to deal with stuff. And you can literally sit back and feel sorry for yourself. You can go down the route of drinking and that doesn't help you get anywhere. Or the other way is being positive. Because people get into a rut. And once they're in that rut, it's very difficult to get out of. And the only way to do that is by communicating to people. You're never in an impossible situation. There's always people who'll be willing to reach out and help you. You can't change the past. All you can do is move forward. Welcome to Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen. My name's Andrew Ward and I'm here with Kieran. Hi Kieran, how are you? I'm great, Andrew, thank you. And on tonight's show we've got Sandy Sterling. Now, this is a very interesting interview because Sandy's talking about topics that traditionally aren't really discussed by men, are they? They're not, Andrew. Sandy was a great interviewee, um, such a great guy. Massive inspiration to so many people out there who have gone through mental abuse in the home. Mm. Sandy's story is quite unique. It's, it's something that we haven't heard before in the podcast and it's such a credit to him for getting his story out there. So let's get straight into it. This is Sandy Sterling. Sandy, how are you doing today? Very good, thank you. Long day, but a good one. Sandy, what's the key message that you're here to portray with us? I think there's a, in some respects, probably a mixture. I think it's more to do with men's mental health on how I've gone through a particular scenario and how I've dealt with it. And ultimately, if it helps somebody else, then fantastic. Wonderful, Sandy. So tell us what your story is. I think to start with, to give you background, probably about two and a half years ago, like a lot of people through COVID, unfortunately, my relationship or marriage turned a little bit sideways, to say the least. I ended up going through a period probably of about seven months where I was going through mental abuse uh, within my own home. Um, I had two stepkids and I had a, a little boy as well. And it was amazing to see a, a relationship go as sideways as it did. Something I genuinely never saw coming. Literally turned one day where somebody cut me off in my own home, stopped speaking to me, didn't want me to message her, didn't want me to talk to her, you name it, WhatsApp, text messages, emails, nothing. Obviously an incredibly difficult thing to do when you've got three children surrounding you. And as you can probably imagine, coming home was a challenge because you're coming home to somewhere that, apart from the kids, you didn't want to be. Let's just say it was four months of trying to save a marriage. And then it was three months of preparing myself to leave a marriage. We went through a period where we got into therapy. My ex-wife fell out with a therapist after a few sessions. But it was probably the best thing I've ever done. I, You know, us, us guys, we are terrible in the respect that we pigeonhole stuff. And I pigeonhole stuff my whole life. I literally offloaded in those therapy sessions most of my life and speaking to a stranger is a weird thing for guys to do 
but I can tell you now it was the best thing I did. You know, guys are terrible. And and I can say that coming from farming background. Uh, in the UK, the sector with the most suicides is farming. And that's where I grew up. And it was a, a, an upbringing of, in some cases, solitude and the way that people dealt with stuff. You know, guys are too proud to open up. As well as going through therapy, I started opening up to some of my friends in the industry and I was gobsmacked at what I got back. We think we are going through the worst thing ever. And sometimes the people sitting in front of us have worse stories. I mean, a good example was I was speaking to a guy one day who, you know, I talked about how my wife and I were sleeping in separate rooms and we'd been doing so for three or four months. He told me, he said, well, my wife's suffering from depression and we've been sleeping in separate rooms for seven years. So yeah, listen, it was a, an incredibly difficult time. But the one thing I learned from it is there's two ways to deal with stuff. And you can literally sit back and feel sorry for yourself. You can go down the route of drinking and that doesn't help you get anywhere. Or the other way is being positive. You know, when you face a challenge is sharing, talking about it and being proactive. I mean, through the scenario I went through, I dealt with a therapist. I'm very spiritual, so I spoke to a healer. I saw, uh, bizarrely, a Scottish psychiatrist for one session who, um, come the end of it, I just opened up and told him everything. And he turned and said, I know exactly what you've gone through because I've been through the exact same thing myself. And he said, it is mental abuse within your own home. One of the things that I did through that period, I set myself a sporting challenge. Now. Anyone who knows me and has known me training-wise playing rugby, the one thing I've always been very good at is being lazy. Put a ball in front of me, I run the whole day. Ask me to train to chase that ball, I'm not interested. Having grown up on a farm and had the physical nature of the job, I didn't like training. I never have. If someone had said to me five years ago that you would cycle for 24 hours around the desert in al -Qudra, I'd have laughed at them. A, I don't like training. And B, I haven't been on a bike since I was a little kid. Yet in March this year, I completed 586 kilometers around the Al-Qudra Desert. It was for a very good reason, which I'll, which I'll come to. But the one thing I, I found getting fit, looking after myself, it definitely helped me clear my mind when I started training. I would disappear into the desert for hours completely leave there feeling fresh, you know, having different aspects of, of, you know, issues I'd been facing rather than sitting in my own home and feeling sorry for myself around the kids that wasn't going to help them. It certainly didn't help me. You know, there are different ways of, of dealing with stuff. And it was a, it was a huge thing for me to do. Thank you, Sandy. And, and thanks for sharing that with us. I, I appreciate it's not, not easy. Sandy, if I can go back to the phrase mental abuse, could you please tell us more about that? Abuse can be in many shapes and forms. As you know yourself, you can either have physical abuse or mental. It was the, you know, there'd be days where I would come home. Literally, if the kids weren't there, my ex would get up and walk out of the room. She wouldn't engage in any conversations. I mean, being ignored by somebody that you were very close with was very difficult to deal with. 
I think you, you know what, you, you then start questioning yourself. You start looking and, and you know, overanalyzing every little thing you've done. And I think the one thing that I did was I started reading books. You then start going, well, I could have done this. I could have done that. The biggest thing around it is you can't change the past. All you can do is move forward. You know, that's why I say you, you've got to keep looking forward because what's gone past you, you know, there's no, no way to bring back. Certainly the mental aspects were, were very difficult to deal with. Uh, my son is too young to understand, whereas I was dealing with kids that were early teens. They were very confused. They'd already been through it once, and now they were going through it a second time. Dealing with them was, was very difficult because she basically stopped me from spending time with them. She stopped me turning up to their training. She literally was then taking them to training at nighttime and coming back really late. So I was, rather than sit up and, and wait for them to come home, I literally was putting my son to bed circa 8, 7, 38 o'clock and going to bed at 8 o'clock myself. And it, what it did was... I could either, as I say, feel sorry for myself. It made me increase my training. So I was getting up first thing in the morning and going out. I mean, I, I in the build-up to the cycle in March, I was, you know, I, I, I was just doing silly hours on the bike. And it meant that when the 12 hours came up, uh, which was my first challenge, it was very easy. I don't think you can say the words overtrain. I overtrained. I, I I didn't struggle at all. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a very horrible thing to go through, and that's why I say by opening up and speaking to others, it helped me enormously. Thanks, Andy. And we're going to get to the the MND stuff very very soon. But before we do, did you ever find out what was the reason behind this this mental abuse, this silence in the home? In all honesty, no. I mean, my my ex and I went through unfortunately went through some miscarries. That didn't help. As I say, I never saw it coming. You know, I've had uh, little reasons about financials and this and that. And in all honesty, it, none of it really makes sense. What I have found out in the aftermath is it isn't the first time she's done it. Uh, she's she's She also cut off her previous ex-husband in the exact same way, which in some respects was a, sounds terrible, but it was a relief to hear because you you keep overanalyzing and questioning yourself over, could I have done this? Could I have done that? The biggest thing for me ultimately is, is, is I have a, he's nearly five years old son, and my focus has been 100% on him. Ever since I moved out, I think over the 18 months that I've been living uh, separate, I've only used a babysitter three times. My focus has 100% been on him and making sure that he's okay. And what is this young gentleman's name? His name is Angus. Not very Scottish. <laughs> very good. Well, Angus is very lucky to have you in his life. What do you like doing with Angus at the moment? Well, it's, it's been kind of eye-opening with Angus. He's uh, now realizing that his dad is doing some physical challenges on the bike. So I did a 12-year cycle, uh, sorry, a 12-hour cycle. It went that well that the following year I decided to do a 24-hour cycle. On this particular occasion, Angus was waiting for me with 50 meters to go. And my son has got, I'm the youngest boy of five. He's got that sterling competitive age that when we went over the finishing line, 
he turned to me and went, I won. <laughs> uh, which was, <laughs> there was a few little thoughts that went in my mind that aren't repeatable. And then he looked at me and went, Daddy, can we do it again? Uh, and obviously I said, not not, not until some other day. <laughs> um, but listen, our, our time together is full on. I'm trying to help him draw. I'm helping him with his schoolwork. Because I do business development, being able to speak to people as and even more so with what I've gone through, it's it's now getting me to prepare him to speak to older people. So I get him talking when he's speaking to older people about talking about his holidays, talking about his school, because it, in all honesty, it's been my best asset is being able to speak to people. And it's why I wanted to do this, because I know having met a few people over that COVID period that, you know, all us men are having issues. And we're terrible at sticking our hand up and and uh, reaching out, you know. And it's, I see some of the you know situations that come up on British Dads Dubai, and it's Kieran, obviously with you and I, we've had a conversation about it, and I I do think it's incredibly important. You know, I've had my dark days, and the one thing that men have got to understand is you're not alone. You know, there's there's loads of other people going through similar scenarios to you. And sometimes, sometimes they're going to be worse. One of the experiences I've, I've never really shared was years ago, I lived in South Africa. I had a golf tour company in Cape Town for two years. And I used to deal with kids that were HIV positive in the townships. They taught me so much that they had nothing, no parents, and yet they were happy. And yet we have everything and we're never happy. And the worst bit is we live in Dubai where I remember years ago, Cafu suddenly appeared and I thought, oh, it's only lazy people that will use Cafu. Guess who's using the Cafu app as soon as we finish this? You know, it's small things like that. And, and you know, we think we're going through bad times and yet we can get on a plane and go and see our family. You know, we come home and we open a fridge and there's food. We turn on the tap and there's water. You know, there's so many things that we forget how lucky we truly are because when we go into these dark clouds and we don't share, we just, you know, it just gets worse and worse. And, you know, it starts going through your head that you're in this impossible situation. You're never in an impossible situation. There's always people who will be willing to reach out and help you. Sandy, you've highlighted some amazing uh, topics there of interest and, and you've identified speaking and communicating and your cycling, your exercise as strategies you've used to overcome your challenge. For anybody else going through something similar, what would you say to them? Find your passion. You don't need to do sport. If you're into music, if you're into dominoes, if you're into reading books, you know, find something where you can integrate yourself within a group don't hide the one last thing you cannot do and i know at the time going for a few beers sound good and they do but then it becomes a few beers and then it becomes a few more beers and suddenly you start not looking after your health suddenly you start putting on weight suddenly the feel-good factor of maybe the shape that you had before is is growing and suddenly Everything feels a little bit darker. You know, your life isn't going the right direction. For me, it was sport. My background is sport. But I've taken on something that I, I've never done before. You know, cycling wasn't. And I, I got into actually by default where I had a, a friend of mine who 
passed away from um, uh, malaria and two of his friends wanted me to sponsor him, which I did do. And I reached out to Sean Killer, who's the architect behind Museum of the Future. And it was his twin sister that was married to my friend. I reached out to Sean and said, look, you want to sponsor these guys. And he replied, love to. But my wife and I are also cycling the Cape Argus. So if we're doing it, so are bloody you. Um, I then had two months, A, to get fit, and B, get on a bike since I was a kid. And it, I, I've just gone from there. You know, it's, 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 it's an amazing way of feel-good factor of if it's a jog, if it's a walk, whatever you're into, playing chess, go back to your childhood and do some of the things that you did as a kid. You know, change your circumstances because people get into a rut and once they're in that rut, it's very difficult to get out of. And the only way to do that is by communicating to people. Very well said, Sandy. Very well said. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the cycling. Tell us more about this. It's, it's, it's for charities, for MND. Well, officially, it's raising awareness here in the Middle East, you know, around all the, the laws that we face here. So basically, I got inspired by watching the Olympic Games when I had COVID. I'd done a 12-hour cycle that went incredibly well. My father had died from motor neuron disease three and a half years ago. And I got a little bit inspired from watching the Olympics properly for the first time. And I saw all these people all over the world having trained for five years. And normally for me, it's five months. So I thought, well, let's see if I can do something a little bit harder. I created a 24-hour cycle. I wanted to do it for MND. So now it's MND 24. We started with one cycle, it has grown. We ended up with 44 events in 21 countries. We even have an unofficial world record, which is 24 hours, 24 minutes of salsa. And it's unofficial because the Guinness Book of Records wanted 10,000 pounds to make it official. So you can imagine what I said to them. Uh, it wasn't very pleasant, it wasn't very polite, but it was rather direct. Anyway, we ended up with over 250 people come and join us uh, around the 24 hours. It can, you can come for a loop, two loops, three loops, whatever you feel like. If it helps with people's mental health and well-being, all the better. The other thing that we've done is it's 24 hours if you're a madman like me, or it's 24 hours as a group. So that could be a school, a community. It could be your company. It could be, you name it, your sports club. It could be music. It could be any type of event whatsoever. You know, I had people say, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. A lady did 24 hours of silence in her own home. I'm sure there's a few ladies we know we'd like to do a week at least, but did 24 hours because her mum lost the ability to speak in motor neuron disease. You know, part of what I've done is obviously for my dad, but I was at school with Ewan McDonald, who's a Scotland's version of Stephen Hawking. He's had it 19 years. I've had the pleasure of sadly meeting Doddy Weir a few times. Very sad news about Doddy recently, but amazing for somebody. And just think of Doddy for that moment where he's been given uh, or been given the diagnosis of an illness. There's no cure. Doddy could have sat and felt sorry for himself. He could have started drinking. He could have done all sorts. But rather than do that, he faced it. I hate to use the term head on for motor neuron disease. But rather than feel sorry for himself, he went out and helped other people because he realizes that he's in a position to help people. And in all honesty, we all are. You don't need to be famous to help others. 
and that ultimately is why I'm doing what I'm doing. If it helps a family, if it helps find a cure, fantastic. The biggest thing for me is, yes, it is to do with MND, but if it helps people get out, get a little bit of exercise, have some fun with their colleagues, could be their family, could be in their company. You know, we've all been through two to three years of COVID where people have lost their jobs, they lost family members. We've all gone through challenges. You know, a lot of families have been stuck in their own homes and probably outside of, if I speak to any lawyers just now, probably the two biggest things are still construction, which I work in, and, and divorces. If it allows you to get some space and go and do an activity and it can be anything, then fantastic. You know, it's I, I want to get people engaged. I want to get people involved. And, you know, if we can do something around motor neuron disease at the same time. I mean, take where, where I got frustrated with the, the illness is a few years ago, we had the ice bucket challenge. You know, everyone got involved, got engaged, but most people had no clue why they were doing it. And it's ALS, which is the American uh, name for motor neuron disease. And it, it was amazing. You know, if we can all do a little bit, we'll definitely live in a better world, that's for sure. Sandy, you mentioned the word amazing. You are truly amazing. Um, what an inspiration to so many people out there. And it's an absolute credit to you and to your son for everything you're doing for so many people. So well done to you. Thank you. Kieran, it's very kind of you. Sandy, the big question is, what's next? <laughs> what's next as in uh, motor neuron disease's next challenge? Yeah, so I have two guys doing a documentary on what we're doing right now. The next challenge is working with Inner Fight for me. It's a tough going at the moment. I'm, I've just come off the back of a week where I've done 13 and a half hours of training. I am cycling a lot. The target is 700 kilometers in a day. So to give you a UK perspective, that is cycling from Dundee to Oxford or Edinburgh to Crawley, just south of London in one day. It's 435 miles. A lot of people say you're cycling on flat. Well, when I did my dad's first cycle of 12 hours, we had a full-on sandstorm. This past year, or when I say March this year, it was 37 degrees the day before. It was predicted 32. We actually had, for three hours, 12 until 3 in the afternoon, we had 44 degrees of heat. It was, it was very tough going. And to be fair, the guys from Inner Fight, Marcus and his guys, were absolutely awesome. They kept us going. So I got them involved on this cycle. <laughs> it's been eye-opening. Let's just say that I'm sitting on a rather sore bottom at the moment. Training is definitely tough. It's gone up a great deal. But you know what? It's worthwhile. It's, you know, to see 250 people come out this March and join us was, was amazing. Unreal, Sandy. You've just taken away, frustratingly, taken away my punchline. <laughs> I, was going, I, I was going to say, I hope you've got a very soft saddle. I imagine your backside is pretty um, irritated at this stage. Kieran, you must know what I've just been doing. I've actually just been for a bike fit and I've just gone and bought a new saddle that, <laughs> that is the latest technology and I've already tried it and it's... Uh, it's much needed. It's a long time. Listen, the other thing that I, I, which has been superb is there are 11 other guys who've all put their hands up to come out and do the 
24 hours with me, which is quite incredible. And there's there's one or two of them who have also been affected by motor neuron disease recently, where they've got friends that have passed away. But it's it, it's incredible to see people getting involved. And as I say, the more companies we get involved, I mean, kind of the overall plan is to use every single facility in the UEE, whether that's the the do arena, the Etihad arena, whether that's DuckTac, whether that's schools. We're now speaking to one of the schools that's attached to 26 others. If I can get kids education to understand the effects of motor neuron disease, because in all honesty, it is motor neuron disease. It's a bizarre thing that people don't understand is that all your Parkinson's, your MS's, your Alzheimer's, they're all related. The problem is with motor neuron disease is you get tested for all of those. And when they get to the end and they don't know what it is, it's motor neuron disease. So I can tell you now, if they can find a cure for motor neuron disease, more than likely they're going to find a cure for all the rest of them. And that's why it's so important to me because they don't know if it's hereditary. You get one to three years. And when you're told... That's it. There it, currently there is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no treatment that's going to stop that impact in your life. And you know, Doddy Weir, he had three sons that were teenagers, and you know they've at least managed to understand. Rob Burrows, who's the rugby league guy, all his kids are below ten years old. They have no clue what's happening to their father. And if myself, by doing what I'm doing, and all the other people who come out to help. If we can do something to help other people's lives, it's amazing. But at the same time, if it helps your own and it inspires you to do something for other people, fantastic. Very well said, Sandy. Sandy, for all our listeners out there, I'm sure there's many people that would like to jump on board and get involved in support and get you as much visibility as you deserve. Where can they find you? Well, that's good grief. I can easily give you my mobile number, but also my email address is just sandy.sterling at mnd24.com but i'm on the british dads dubai groups i'm easy to find we're on all the social medias under mnd24 fantastic and we'll put them on the show notes as well sandy sterling thank you so much for your time today good luck with everything you're doing and fair play to you thank you very much listen it's an absolute pleasure and if this goes out and helps some people that's the least we can do so well done to to you and your guys as well it's well done. I'm proud of you as well because this is so important for people's mental health, particularly men. So that was Sandy Sterling. A really powerful interview, wasn't it, Kieran? It really was, Andrew. And as I said at the start, it's an absolute credit for Sandy to come on and, and to express his story, you know, knowing that knowing that it's something that's not done. You know, for any man mm. out there to be, to be saying that he was mentally abused by his wife, it can't be easy. So it's an absolute credit to him. Mm. Well done. Yeah, real bravery to come on and say that because it's just not traditionally something that we hear a lot of. It's not, you know, and obviously the strategies that Sandy identified that works for him that will hopefully work for some of our listeners. But, you know, everything he's doing for charity, the the hours and hours of training, and it's just um, it's just so exciting that the future for what he's trying to achieve is very exciting. So let's just reflect a little bit on the strategies that he is implementing and how they can work for other people. Well, the first thing, you know, he was talking about was just sharing the problem, you know, and we talk about Mm. this very, very often, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved. And just by speaking about it, so many people feel so, so relieved just to get it off their chest. So that worked for Sandy. 
He mentioned mm. about finding a passion. Now, Sandy's passion is cycling. But, you know, he mentioned that it doesn't have to be cycling. It can be anything, you know. Um, he did mention a few times, you know, that it's very easy to slip down the alcohol road when you're not in a good place. And this is a negative, mm. a negative spiral. We need to be very, very careful for stuff like that. And, um, and obviously, indirectly, Sandy's doing so much for charity, but he's been rewarded himself. You know, he's doing, he's doing it for, for so many good causes, but inevitably, the time and effort he puts into this is making him feel good. So he's finding his purpose again. So through his passion, he's finding a new purpose. Yeah, it really was an excellent interview. And we wish Sandy all the best in his charitable efforts. And for anyone out there who, who would like to get involved, please just reach out. Um, you can see the show notes. You can contact Sandy directly and um, he happily gets you on board. So let's all get on our bicycles and get going. Exactly. Now we are getting into the run up to Christmas time. So if you, Kieran, were str- if you had to give advice to someone who was struggling to buy their loved one a great gift for Christmas, what would you go for? Um, I suppose you just can't go wrong with a bit of perfume. Or maybe a book. Or <laughs> maybe a book. Yes. Listen, teenagers are challenging stories. And How to Help Them is available on Amazon. It's available in SuperValue in Coothill County, Cavan in Ireland. And it's available directly from me here in Dubai. A wonderful, uh, a wonderful book that will help so many people out there. The reviews have been amazing. And, um, and it's just a credit to everybody who contributed. So again, thanks to everyone. And, um, and please get your copy. And that's all from us on tonight's show. I will see you next time, Kieran. Take care. All the best, Andrew. Thanks so much for everything. Bye-bye.